0: Well, you coming? Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color for this one? Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You sit on a throne of lies. Ah! And a very Merry Christmas to you. This is not How you guys feeling? You feeling okay? You know what? Let's do something. Um, at every single campus, on the count of three, will you make some noise as if you're really excited to be in church today? One, two, three, let's hear you. That's some power right there. That's some power right there. That's, there's a broken glass somewhere in here right now. Hey, tell your neighbor right now your favorite Christmas movie. Tell them your favorite movie. And if you're both single, say, hey, you want to watch it? There's nothing more romantic than Elf. How many of you, your favorite movie is Elf? Let me hear you. How many of you, your favorite movie is Christmas Vacation? Let me hear you. It's about half and half. Uh, Ours used to always be Christmas vacation. That was our tradition, and and it's it's funny because now Elf has started to move in, hasn't it? Elf has started to move in, and it's taken part of the place in our heart that only was Clark W. Griswold. And now we share. We watch both of those movies, and every time I watch Clark W. Griswold... I just fall more in love with the guy. I just—I feel like I have so much in common with him. Um, you know how he builds things up in his mind, and no matter how good an actual event is, it'll never add up to what he's built up in his mind. That's what I do. Uh, and then I, I feel let down when the actual event happens. I share his passion for exterior home illumination. Um, I love having Christmas lights up. How many of you love putting Christmas lights up? There's like Three. I got one. Woo! How many of you like having Christmas lights up, though? See, that's where I'm at. I don't want to put them up. I just want them to be up. And there's a, there's a secret, not secret, a silent competition going on right now in my neighborhood. Nobody talks about it, but we all know it's happening And you know, some of you live in neighborhoods like this where there's other people, and you already know, like, you're in competition, and it's a Christmas decoration competition, and that goes on every year in our neighborhood, and we got some cheaters. We had one family hire it professionally out last year. I wanted to seriously stop by and call them out on it, but I just didn't feel like Jill would let me. Um, But... uh, there, there's, there's neighbors that normally, you know, they'll just be like, hey, how you doing? And now, now, right now, you go outside on the weekends especially, and everybody's out there putting lights up, and they'll give you the, hey, what's up? But what they're really doing is, yes, right, upgraded to twinkle lights. What you gonna do? <laughs> Your move, you know what I mean? Like, there's this contest going on, and I want to be in the contest. I want to win the contest. My problem is my wife knocked me off a ladder this summer, and I got PTSD right now. I can't get on a ladder. If you missed that sermon, go listen to it. We think she's in it for the insurance money. It's under investigation. But I get on the third rung of a ladder right now and get a twitch. Like, I can't do it. And so I I told BZ the other day, I said, BZ, I I can't put lights up. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my current plan is I'm going to go to Home Depot, get the charge card out, pay it off next year, whatever. And that's a a whole other financial series talk. But I'm going to buy every lawn. Ornament decoration that Home Depot makes. And I'm just going to decorate the heck out of six feet and below. That's my current plan, how I'm going to get in the fight in my neighborhood. We're in this Christmas series, and it's the longest titled Christmas series. It's the longest title of a series we've ever done. In fact, some of you, your goal ought to be just to have it memorized by Christmas. The teaching series that we are starting today is an elf-esque Christmas Vacation Miraculous teaching series about a wonderful life home alone on 34th Street. That's the series. So welcome to Red Rocks Church. As you can tell, this series, we're going to be all over the place, and and we're okay with that because one thing we know is this, is that every story in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, they all do one thing, point to Jesus. And so we're going to go all over in the scripture, and we're going to talk about Jesus as we hit this runway leading up to Christmas. So if you have a Bible, flip open to John chapter 11. If you have the Bible on your phone, you can get that out and you can follow along on your phone. Uh, We're going to start in John chapter 11. Everybody ready? Punch your neighbor in the thigh right now. Say, get ready. My movie's better. All right, John 11, one through three. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John's already starting to give us some insight into who Jesus is about to have some interaction with. And he said there's Mary, there's Martha, and there's their brother Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick. And this isn't like what my boys do sometimes, which is like, dad, I need to stay home from school and play video games. No, he's sick, sick. Like he's deathly sick. He's like, if Jesus doesn't do a miracle, I won't live sick. Okay. And, and Mary and Martha, his sisters, they send word to Jesus. Now, Here's what John's trying to help us understand. This family, they're close to Jesus. They love Jesus. Jesus loves them. We're going to find out that Jesus goes to their house. He stays at their house. He has dinner at their house. Him and Lazarus are boys. They recline together at the table and talk about God and family and the game. This family's close to Jesus. And he says, Mary, in fact... She's so passionate about worshiping Jesus that she she one time took an entire year's worth of salary. Think about that for a sec. She took her entire year's salary and gave it to Jesus in worship. They believe in Jesus. They worship Jesus. They follow Jesus. And yet they're having a tragedy in their life right now. And so already this sort of kicks some crazy theology to the curb, doesn't it? Some theology that says, if you follow Jesus, then you'll always be happy and you'll always be healthy and you'll always be rich. Well, that's not necessarily the case, is it? Because they love Jesus and Jesus loves them and they worship Jesus and they follow Jesus. Yet they're still having tragedy. And some of you need to know this. They're not in tragedy because they don't love God well enough. They're not in tragedy because they don't have good enough faith. They're not in tragedy because God doesn't love them. They're in the middle of tragedy because we're broken people who live in a broken world and we don't get to experience perfection until heaven. So being a follower of Jesus doesn't guarantee that we don't have problems. They understood that. But they also understood that being a follower of Jesus means, doesn't mean I don't always have problems, but it does mean I get to lean on the one who can conquer all the problems. It does mean I get to lean on the one who there's not a problem in this world that he can't conquer. Right. And so the next verse says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Following Jesus doesn't mean I'll never have problems. But it does mean I get to send word. It does mean I get to lean on the one who is the problem solver. It does mean I get to go to the source of strength and joy and peace and confidence. It does mean that he'll stick closer than a brother and walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death and never leave me and never, never forsake me. It might not mean I, don't, I won't ever get to live problem free, but it does mean I get to live on the one that solves all the problems, right? And that's what they understood. So they sent word to Jesus said, Jesus, we got a problem. They did what we do, right? The, oh, God, help. My marriage isn't working. I can't find the right person. The job is a mess. The finances are a mess. You know what's going on. You know what I'm in the middle of. Things aren't working out. Oh, God, help. Like, we know that prayer, right? Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. They send word to Jesus through a messenger. They're at home with Lazarus. They send word to Jesus through a messenger. We'll call him Bill. They send word through Bill over to Jesus and and they say, look, the one you love is sick. Like this is bad sick and we need you quick. And Jesus says two things back to him. He says, number one, I got you. And number two, he says, and I'm going to build a testimony in your story. I'm going to build a testimony in your life. He says, first off, I got you. He says, Lazarus isn't going to die. Don't worry. I'm in control. I know it doesn't look good. I know you don't understand what's happening, and I know you're scared, and I know the situation isn't ideal. You don't have to worry about that. I got you. And then he goes on to talk about how he's going to do something so powerful in their life that God's going to receive glory from it. He's going to build a testimony in their life. He says, what I'm going to do, you go tell the girls, you go tell Lazarus, what I'm going to do is going to be so powerful that when people hear about this, when you tell this story, people are going to go, the only way that happens is if God did it. I'm going to do something so powerful in your life that people's attention is going to be pointed to God. And it's not because God's insecure and he's looking for some pats on the back. No, it's because his will is that none should perish. He doesn't want anybody to spend eternity in hell separated from him. And so he says, I'm going to do something in your life. And it's, it's more than just about your life. It's going to be so powerful that it's going to point people's attention to me. Because when people's attention gets pointed to me, God just knows. Some of them are going to say, okay, God, if you're real, I'll give you a chance, and I'm going to give them a personal experience, and they're going to experience salvation and forgiveness, and I'm going to redeem their past and restore their life and save them. Less people are going to go to hell. More people are going to go to heaven. Heaven's going to be more crowded, and that's what God cares about anyways. So he says, you tell the girls, and you tell Lazarus, I got you. You don't have to worry. I'm in control, and I'm going to do something so powerful that it's gonna make other people look at your life and they're gonna think about God when they do. So that's where we're at. And the messenger gets sent back. Now, let me just pause for a second and tell you that I think God would say the exact same thing to some of you right now. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you've been going through. He knows what you've been through in general. And I think he would say the same thing to some of you. I got you. I'm in control. I know you don't see it. I know you don't get it. I know you don't feel it. I know you don't understand how this is going to work out. I got you. I'm in control. And I'm going to do something so powerful in your life that when other people see it, they're going to look to God. I think he would say to some of you, hold tight. I'm building a testimony in your life right now. That's what he says to these girls. And let me just say something right up top, because if you're like me, your mind could sort of drift to this like, okay, wait a second. Are you saying that like what I'm going through that's really, really tough, like God caused me to go through that so he can build a testimony? Is that what you're saying? And I just want you to know that's not what I'm saying. That's not what this says. Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't, did Jesus make Lazarus sick? No, he didn't make Lazarus sick. Was he happy that Lazarus was sick? No. One of the great parts of this message that we're not even going to have time to get into is Jesus spent some time with the girls and he he started weeping and he started crying and he was heartbroken. He was all torn up about what was going on with, with Lazarus. Did he make Lazarus sick? No. Was he happy that Lazarus was sick? No. But was he willing to step in to a really terrible situation and flip the whole thing upside down and say, I'll do something amazing through this? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean that he can step into our lives when we've made a wreck of it, when someone else has made a wreck of it, when an unfortunate situation has made a wreck of it? Does that mean he can step into our lives and flip everything upside down in a way that we could never fathom and do something amazing through it? Absolutely. That's exactly what he's saying. Let's keep going. Verse five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? <laughs> Let's read that again. Hold on a second. Because I just got confused. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he got in his car instantly and went to help. He got on a donkey instantly. He got on a plane and ran, no, flew. No, he loved him so much and he heard Lazarus was sick that he stayed where he was two more days. Like That's where this whole story gets funky, isn't it? That's where like the needle and the, uh, and the emergency brake gets pulled and whatever. Like everything gets backwards all of a sudden in this story. does it Because it had like a biblical rhythm there for a minute. There's a problem. There's Jesus. We got a problem. Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, I'll solve it. Jesus solves it. This one, he says, I love you. I'll solve it. He walks away. He stayed where he was two days. Now, if you read this too fast, you miss it. Think about that for a second. Think about poor Bill, who's got to go back to the girls, right? Picture this. Like, picture Mary and Martha, and they're in Lazarus' room, and they're, 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 they're sitting by the bed, and they're holding his hand, and they're putting a cloth on his forehead, and they're praying, right? They're taking his temperature, taking care of him. And all of a sudden, they hear, yeah, 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 yeah come in. Hey, Bill. How was your trip? Good, good, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for going. Hey, listen, did you find Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I found him. Did you tell him? Did you tell him about Lazarus? Yep, yep, told him. You told him it was like really bad and like we need him right now. You told him all that? I told him, told him all that. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. What'd he say? He said, I got you. Yeah. He said, no problem. He said, Lazarus isn't going to die, which becomes suspect later if you know the story. He said, Lazarus isn't going to die. No, everything's cool. I got you. I'm building a story. And then he started talking crazy. He said, I'm going to do something so miraculous in your life that when everybody hears it, they're going to think of God like he's building a testimony. It's crazy. And the girl's like, oh, thank God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. Okay, send him in. (laughs) Oh, see, that's the thing he's not with me. He didn't come. What? Did you tell him that Lazarus was really sick? I told him everything that you told me to say exactly. I told him that Lazarus was really sick. And he said, and he said, I love you and I'm going to build a testimony. And then he just got on his phone and like walked away. And I don't know. (laughs) What do you mean? He said he loves us and then didn't come. Don't Have you ever you ever ask God for something like, God, I really need this. I need you to fix this. I need you to help me. Please get involved. Please get me through it. Please miraculously provide. And you go, amen. I said, amen. (laughs) Like nothing. And then, and you're going through, have you ever been going through a really, really difficult time and nothing makes sense? And some well-meaning person goes, oh, don't worry. God loves you. And you want to, like, punch him in the throat? (laughs) Like, I don't want to hear anymore. God loves me. Don't tell me you love me if you're not going to come help me. You ever felt that? I don't want to hear Jesus loves you. I want someone to help this situation. Don't tell me you love me if you're not going to fix my marriage. Don't tell me you love me if you're not going to provide. Don't tell me you love me if you're not going to help me pursue this dream you've put in my heart. You ever felt that? That's what these guys are feeling. This whole family, they would feel like all of a sudden, Jesus had abandoned them in their greatest time of need. When he needed them most, when they really needed him, he didn't show up. He stayed where he was two days. In Red Rocks Church, this is huge. This is for all of us today. Go ahead and put that slide up, would you? Sometimes, God's timing won't make sense until some time goes by. Sometimes God's timing won't make sense until some time goes by. Let me tell you what I mean. I was in a store this week, excuse me, I was in a store this week and I was exchanging um, my son's used skis for another set of used skis. And I was wearing a Red Rocks Church hoodie because our church now has more swag than most retail stores, and that's all I wear is Red Rocks Church stuff. So I'm wearing a Red Rocks Church hoodie, and the kid behind the counter reads my, 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 you know, the emblem on the hoodie, and he goes, you go to that church? And I go, sometimes. When I like the speaker. He goes, is that a good church? And I go, well. I'm a little biased, but I'd like to think so. <laughs> and then he and then he goes he goes he goes, "Do you know the Johansons? I think they go there." And I don't, I don't remember the actual name he said, but I was like, "Ah, I go It's grown a little bit recently, so I don't know everybody, but maybe if I saw him, I would." And this other kid comes back and he sees the logo on my on my sweatshirt and he goes, "Ah, that place is huge." And I invited him to church. And then I was walking to my car, and I was laughing to myself because I was thinking, man, it's still funny to me when I hear people say Red Rocks Church is huge because some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about. It just hasn't always been this way. It hasn't always been thousands and thousands of people and campuses on both sides of the ocean and everything that's going on. It just hasn't always been that. Like some of you OGs, original gangsters, you remember what it was like when there was 50 of us in the back corner of Heritage Square theme Park. Nobody thought it was cool. People thought it was a cult. Like, what are you doing in the back of a theme park with 50 people? Sounds off the books. You know what I mean? And some of you know, like, it just wasn't what it is now. And, and I remember one, one Sunday, me and Chad were standing at the back of the room, and we were watching, like, 50, 60, however many people were there. We were watching them worship. And it's funny, because you guys always think, like, we're watching the person on stage. Well, guess what? We watch you, too. And 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 Chad and I were were commenting on the fact that 48 of the 50 people were at the time worshiping like this. Because we're just so thug, you know? And and there's two people like, mm. <laughs> One of my friends in the original 50, he, he wasn't a believer, and he came over to my house one day. He's like, how come the girl in front of me keeps signaling field gold, man? What's going on? <laughs> But we're sitting in the back, and I don't even look at Chad. Like things, weren't, things were tough back then for us, and, and so I, I don't even look at Chad. I just look, we're just both looking forward like this, and I go, hey, Chad. He goes, yep. I go, you think this church is going to work? And he goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. It's the end of our conversation. I just took that with me on the ride home. Man, it was just different though. We were all working multiple jobs and nobody was getting full-time salaries and we didn't have health insurance and like was crazy stuff. And I was at the time working at St. Luke's Hospital. I was an overnight chaplain at St. Luke's Hospital and, and I had a pager. Remember when we had pagers? Like does that seem like a lifetime ago? We wore pagers. And so I had a pager and anyone who would die overnight, my pager would go off and I would go up to the hospital and I would just spend time with the family. And I don't know why this was the case, but more times than not, it seemed like when I went to the hospital for a death, it was for an infant. It was just heartbreaking. And so I would go up to the hospital at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and I would sit there and I would just hug and hold hands with and talk to and just cry with parents. And then sometimes I would drive straight from there to Sunday to church and go speak. Like Life was just tough and we were broke and I was dealing with like depression and and dejection and it's just never going to work and nothing. And what am I putting my family through? And all of a sudden my buddy comes to town from Rockford, Jeremy, the one I talked about fighting a few weeks ago, whole different story. And, and he says, he takes me out to lunch at Maggiano's downtown. He says, Hey man, how you doing? And I did what all of us guys do. I go, "Ah, bro, I'm great. how are you you know that kind of thing and he goes "Nah, oh, man how you really doing and i go i'm not doing very good jeremy i just start bawling in the middle of margiano's i'm just like oh, i'm broke away I'm my life and church is in a theme park <laughs> and i'm just like right and he goes dude that that's why i'm here i came to rescue you i said what are you talking about He said, the church that you and me and Chad and Eric and BZ and all of us came from. He's like, the board just promoted me to the senior pastor. The other pastor left. I now run the whole thing. And he didn't really mean this, but it sounded sexy when he said it. He said, you name your salary and you come home and work with me. Come run the church with me. He goes, man, your mom lives there. Your brother lives there. You can build a huge house in Rockford with what I'll pay you. You'll have health insurance. You'll have financial security. You'll be able to plan for the future. You'll be able to take care of your family. Like, come home. He told me, he's like, you've been faithful. You've shown God that you're willing to walk away from everything. You've been faithful. Now come home. And, and, and I went home, and I told Jill everything he had said, and we were sitting on the edge of the bed, and she got up. I got to that part in the story, and she got up and started walking to the closet, and I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm packing. We're going home. <laughs> she was tired of me complaining about being broke, too. And we started talking about it, and I said, Dave, I... I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense on paper. I don't know if this church will ever take off. I don't know if anyone will ever come. I don't know if we'll ever actually get paid to do this. I don't know. I just can't get rid of it. Like, I feel called to this city. I feel called to this church family. And I told her, I said, and I said it kind of half-jokingly, but I said, if God wants me to move back to Rockford, he's going to have to rip the roof off this house and tell me that night The worst thunderstorm Littleton, Colorado has ever experienced came to my house, no lie. Windows are rattling, the house is like moving. We hear like lawn furniture being blown across the porch and Jill looks at me and she goes, I'm going out in the backyard tomorrow and if one shingle comes (laughs) off this roof, we're going home. (laughs) See, the truth is, all of us that have been around for a long time We've all had many opportunities to walk away, to go do something easier, to go do something that paid more, to go do something that just made more sense for our family. That just, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back at all here. Here, here, Here's what I'm saying I started thinking about that this week and I started thinking, oh God, like I'm so thankful because I could have done that, but look at all I would have missed. I would have missed out on this entire church family and being a part of this church family with you guys is one of the funnest parts of my life. And I could have walked away, but I would have missed out on all of it. I didn't know what God was gonna do. I didn't know what he had in store. I didn't know if we'd ever even get a paycheck. See, sometimes God's timing won't make sense until some time goes by. And look, I know that some of you some of you are in the middle of this right now where you feel like you're feel like you stuck. Like you just feel like God's put some dreams on your heart, but it's not going anywhere. You just feel stuck, and you're like, I'm waiting on God's timing. I'm trying to wait on God's timing, but it's not easy. I know that's where some of you are at, and I would just say this to you. Waiting on God's timing is really, really difficult. I know that, but let me tell you what's way harder than that is living a few years, looking back with regret, and wishing you'd waited that's way worse. I've seen it play out. I've watched people change jobs because they just get impatient and they just get restless and they know ne- deep down in their spirit that God's not moving them on yet but they just can't help themselves. They gotta do something. They gotta jump and they go somewhere and then they turn around years later and go, oh, whoa, I'm being attacked by <laughs> <like> a bird. <laughs> they look back and they go, I- I wish I would have waited because look, look what I could have been doing. Look what I could have been experiencing. I've watched people walk away from marriages because they get so impatient. I'm just unfulfilled and I'm emotional and I'm just sitting the right person and they're not making me feel the way I should feel. So I'm out and I've seen it and years go by and they turn around with just total heartache going, oh, I wish I would have waited. I've seen single people. think, I'm afraid of being alone, and what if? And, and I know that God's calling me to, to, to date and to marry somebody who is sold out for him, but I'm afraid, and what if that person doesn't come along in time, and what if I'm lonely, and they get impatient, and they settle for less than God's best? I've seen it, and years later, they look back with so much regret, going, oh, I wish I would've waited. It's hard to wait on God's timing Sometimes but it's way better than looking back, wishing you would've waited. That's what these girls were gonna figure out. That's what Lazarus and Mary and Martha were gonna learn. God's timing's always perfect. It doesn't always make sense in the moment. And sometimes you go, I don't understand what you're doing, God, and I don't see you at work. And he says, just wait. And by wait, he doesn't mean play video games in your mom's basement, single guys. Just waiting on God. (laughs) Now get a job, dude. It's not twiddling your thumbs. Waiting on God's timing is you have me right where you have me for a reason. I don't know exactly what you're doing. I don't know exactly why. I don't know exactly where you're taking me. But because you have me here and I don't have peace about not being here anymore, right now I'm going to give you the very best I got. I'm going to work extremely hard. I'll be extremely faithful. I'll be obedient right where you have me. And I'll wait on your timing. Because here's, here, again, his timing doesn't always make sense to us until some time goes by. Watch, this is exactly what these guys would experience. Let's, let's skip down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Talk about being late to the party. Right? He's been buried for four days, and Jesus shows up. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Now, listen to this. We're going to come back to this. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So a whole bunch of people had gathered around Mary and Martha because Lazarus had been put in the tomb. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you would have cared. If you would have done something. If you would have answered my prayer request. I begged you. If you would have responded to the message. If. But you didn't. You didn't show up. I needed you then. And here you come four days later. Timing's all off. You missed your window. Now, there's about 50 more sermons in the middle, 15, 20 verses of this story that we're going to have to bypass for time's sake. And we're going to fast forward to the end of the story, right? So Jesus, he shows up four days after he's been put in the tomb. And then he ends up saying, take me to the tomb. And the girls are like, we don't need to go to the tomb. You're a little late. He says, maybe you forgot. Maybe the messenger didn't relay the message. I said I was coming to build a testimony. Take me to the tomb. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now picture this for a minute. They're at a tomb. There's a dead body that's been in there for four days. Jesus says, roll back the stone. And everybody's standing around going, this dude's nuts. And he yells in, Lazarus, come out. That's gutsy right there, isn't it? It's hard to recover if it doesn't work. (laughs) The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, every time, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story a bunch. I've read this story a bunch. I've never preached about it, but I've, heard, I've read it a bunch. And every time I've read it, I've stopped right there. Like, that's the end of the story. Take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. Because in most of our Bibles today, they put headings above chunks of Scripture, right? And so in most of your Bibles, especially if you're, even if you're using the one on your phone right now, the you, you version app, it says this. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's the heading of Scripture, and that covers verses 38 to 44. 44 is the one we just read. Comes back to life, amazing miracle, camera pans out, music fades. Credits roll. Like, that's the end of the story, right? And the next section in your Bible will be titled this, The Plot to Kill Jesus. And it starts with verse 45. Well, I've never looked at verse 45 when I'm reading this story because I just read 44 and he came out of the tomb and the whole thing's over and the credits are rolling. What an amazing story. Jesus is the man. This week, I kept reading. And what I realized is that that first verse in the next section, verse 45, that's the money verse. In fact, that verse talks about a bigger miracle than Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because Lazarus would eventually die. You, get, you know that, right? This was, this, he did a miracle, but Lazarus would eventually die. What happens in verse 45 that I never connected to the story is more important and a bigger miracle than verse 44 where he comes out of the tomb. Let's read verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Remember why the Jews came? Because Lazarus had been buried. Because Lazarus had died. Think about this. Remember Mary Mary and Martha, they're all upset over the timing. If Jesus would have come home with the messenger the day they wanted him to and helped Lazarus. You know what everybody else outside would have said? Oh, Lazarus was sick and Jesus did the thing and a Jedi deal and now he's great. Cool. Who's playing today? A whole bunch of people came to Mary and Martha's house because Jesus waited two days. Because he didn't come before the tomb. A whole bunch of people came. So now when Jesus comes and does a miracle in their life, they all think it's four days too late. And Jesus knows, no, 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 my timing's perfect because of what I'm going to do in your life, because of the testimony I'm building in your life. All these people are now going to go to heaven. See, my timing was perfect. You just couldn't see it. I was working the whole time. You just didn't know it. You couldn't feel it. And everybody who gave their life to Jesus that day, they were going to go home. And they're going to tell their moms and their dads and their brothers and their sisters and their aunts and their uncles and their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids. They're going to hear about Jesus. And all of a sudden, you start looking at the domino effect, the ripple effect of salvation. Countless people will now go to heaven who wouldn't have because Jesus waited two extra days. See, his timing was perfect. He was working the whole time. They just couldn't see it. And the same will hold true for us today. Sometimes. God's timing doesn't make sense until some time goes by. Then we get to look back and we go, oh, that's what he was doing. I didn't see that. But that's why. It took longer than I wanted. I didn't know that. That's what these guys would see. That's what they would experience. And listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you've been through in the past. But I know this. There is no situation that our God can't flip upside down and do amazing things in. He wants your life to be a testimony. What you've been through before, he wants to take that pain and give you a newfound purpose with it. He wants to take those trials and those tragedies and turn them into testimonials. He wants to take the mistakes that have been made and give you a whole new meaning to now step forward with that testimony. What's the last verse? Remember verse 44, the one that I thought was the last verse? Let's reread it. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him what? That's what you do when you have a testimony. You go. See, some of you are sitting here right now, and you're in the middle of it. And you need to be reminded from God's word that God's working in your life, and he's building a testimony in you, something that you can't even fathom. But a whole bunch of you, you know what you need to be reminded of through this? You put your faith in Jesus a long time ago. Yeah, you still go through stuff today. Yeah, you're a work in progress. Absolutely. But you already have. You got tons of testimonies already. God's already forgiven you from some stuff. God's already saved you from some stuff. God's already brought you through some stuff. And now what he's calling you to do as a Christ follower is to take the grave clothes off, stop pretending that you're dead, stop glorifying the past, stop living in the past, take the grave clothes off and go share that story with somebody. It'll change their life. It'll give you a new sense of purpose, one you haven't felt before. That's what we do after we get a testimony. We go share it with somebody. And so what I want to challenge you to do as the Red Rocks Church family is to start praying today. God, during this season of life leading up to Christmas, I'm going to see more family than I usually see. I'll be busier than I usually am. I'll probably be at more parties than I'm usually at. Would you put somebody in my path, and would you give me the courage to share my testimony with them and watch the life changes that will happen in your life and in theirs? Once we have a testimony, we go. Band, you guys can come on up. I've been doing a lot of thinking about the power of our testimony this week. And I started thinking about how if you come here often, you kind of know my thing. Like, I'm pretty open with my past, I'm pretty open with my shortcomings, with my faults, with my issues. And there's plenty of them. And I started thinking about the fact that, you know, if people have been coming to this church like the OGs, like they've heard my story a bazillion times. Like maybe I need to stop talking about that because almost on a weekly basis, I'll reference something that's happened from my past or something that I've messed up or something that I've dealt with and it hasn't been pretty. And I started thinking maybe I should shut up about that. Maybe I should stop talking about that stuff. And I was praying this week and I just couldn't get it out of my heart. Like I just kept feeling like God kept kept telling me like, no, don't ever stop sharing what I've done in your life. And I know some of you don't know my story. I'll give you the 60 second version and then we'll pray. I believe in the power of our testimonies. My mom got pregnant with me as a kid in high school. And when... My biological father found out that she was pregnant. He split. He left town. I've never met him, never seen him. He left my mom. So now she's a kid with a kid. She was living with her mom, scared to death, didn't know what to do. And somebody introduced her to drugs. She felt that escape. She wasn't looking for this, but all of a sudden she blinked. And now she's a teenager with a kid, and she's a heroin addict. And life got so bad for her, so messed up in her mind, so hopeless that when I was two years old, she put me in a car seat and she went and put me on a stranger's porch with a note attached, said, please take care of him. And she went and jumped off of a bridge into oncoming traffic to kill herself. And God said, no, 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 no. It's not your time yet. She crushed her feet and her ankles and her legs. And I started thinking this week, I bet you if someone would have went to my mom's hospital room, A single mother, with a kid, no dad, heroin addict, and crushed feet. And I bet you if someone would have walked into her room and said, you don't know it, but God's building a testimony in you, I don't think she would have believed it. I think she would have thought it's too far gone. He's been in the grave for four days. This one's over. I'm too far gone. And then somebody took a risk on her and invited her to a church service and she experienced the power of God. And all I remember of my mom growing up is a mom who sat in the living room and every night when I came home, she was reading her Bible. All I remember is a mom who pursued God my whole life. And then I repeated that cycle. And I started abusing drugs and alcohol and I got suicidal and I sat down one day to kill myself and I couldn't because all I could picture was my mom reading her Bible and I knew in my heart like what I needed was Jesus. I just thought, it's too far gone. And then Eric, who now works here, brought me to church and I got saved and somehow now I'm up here talking to you today. It's crazy what God will do with a story, isn't it? It's crazy how he'll work a story and he'll take your biggest pain and he'll flip it upside down and he'll give you a whole new purpose with it. And and my temptation was this week, it's like I just started thinking, like you talk about your testimony too much. Stop it, don't say it anymore. But then all of a sudden, I had this like breakthrough in prayer this week. And it just hit me again, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to stop. I'm not ever going to stop talking about it because everything that Satan wanted to use to destroy me, I'm just going to keep talking about it because I'm going to use it today to destroy him. Listen, there's no story God can't use. That includes you. That includes what you're going through right now. Some of you need to just rest in that today you need to let yourself be reminded he's working in my life even though I can't see it he's building a testimony in me right now even though I don't understand it and some of you you need to start letting yourself be challenged by God saying I've already done some stuff in your life you need to pray that I would help you share it and just go start with one person and watch what I'll do because that's what we do see he gives us a testimony then we go let's pray God, I thank you so much that you're with us right here, right now. That you know everything we've been through. You know what we're in the middle of. You know the very real pain that we deal with, especially around the holidays when when things just feel worse. When money problems seem worse and when family problems seem so painful, they seem worse this time of year. God, I pray that you would help us just to begin to rest in the fact that you're building a story, you're building a testimony, that you're in charge. I pray that every one of us would walk out of here today hearing this phrase from you, I got you. Don't worry, I got you. And I pray, God, right now for everyone who hasn't experienced a personal relationship with you that right now they would just sense you calling them. Right now, they would have the courage to take that step of faith and say, okay, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I want to turn away from my past sinful ways, and I want to make a new life starting right now with Jesus, not just so he gets involved in my life, but so I get to experience heaven forever. If that's you right now at every single location, raise your hand. If you say, I want to ask God to forgive me of my sins and be the Lord of my life, I want to start a new life with him right here, right now. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Raise him up high. Praise God. Praise God. Raise them up high. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Raise them up. God behind bars, campuses. Raise them up. Raise them up, guys. God has a plan for you. There's no story. He can't turn around. Raise them up, ladies. In Belgium, raise your hands. Say, God, I say yes to you today. God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. I thank you that your son died on a cross to pay the price for our sins, and we get to experience that today. And I thank you for the eternal lives that are being changed right this second. And God, as a church family everywhere, it is our honor now to worship you with music. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Red Rocks, will you stand up? Let's worship.